Well, we're continuing uh, this series, Eyewitness News. I'm, I'm excited to jump back into this. I just got back from a preaching trip in Oklahoma. How many, are there people here today from Oklahoma? Any, just raise your hand. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but that was Mary O'Dell over there. Just... Uh, just lifting it up there for Oklahoma. Well, Mary, what a truly beautiful place that is. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I, I ate some fried okra. I'm not sure whether that's animal, vegetable, or mineral. I'm not even sure it was dead, but I had that. But isn't it true that when you go away, no matter how beautiful the place is, it's always good to be home, and this is home for us now. I think as we, we dive into this message today, we're looking at an episode when the disciples and Jesus were in Capernaum, and for Peter, Capernaum was home. Remember that Mark's gospel, Mark was not a follower of Jesus um, personally, but he was a disciple of Peter and acted as Peter's secretary and, and wrote down Peter's uh, memories of all that, that happened. And now, the disciples are home. Peter lives in Capernaum in an extended family situation, which included his mother-in-law. That means that Peter was married, because I know this is deep teaching, but you have to have a wife or a husband before you have a mother-in-law. Is that not true? Everyone say amen. I know that's heavy. So Peter... Uh, had uh, was he living in this extended family situation, and uh, Jesus goes to Peter's home, and it's there that they discover that Jesus is in a league of his own, and that's the title of this morning's message. So let, let me just read uh, just one verse initially to you, Mark chapter 1 and verse 21. It says, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time in Sunday school, only three weeks before they kicked me out. But while I was there, I came to believe that Moses was a skydiver. I know this is probably poor theology, but I thought Moses was a skydiver. Does anyone remember, anyone remember flannel boards? Flannel boards. In England, for some reason, we call it fuzzy felt. I don't know why. The flannel board was kind of like PowerPoint before technology. They used, to, they used to take Bible stories and they'd stick those figures on there. And I used to think that Moses was a skydiver because halfway through the Sunday school lesson, he would dive off the board. And I thought he had parachuting aspirations before his time. Turns out he just didn't have a sufficiently sticky back. But I, I thought he had skydiving aspirations. I had some pretty weird ideas about Jesus, too. I, the Sunday school Jesus that they put on the, on, the, on the flannel board. There he is, perfectly, perfectly white robe, uh, walking around with a big book, and always normally pursued by grinning, fluffy sheep, always in attendance. And uh, not in this case, but sometimes the flannel board Jesus would be a Scandinavian blonde chap which was a bit odd for a Jewish guy, but there you go. And, and then there's a reaction to that, which is the tough guy, Jesus, the macho Jesus. Uh, some people have responded to this kind of lightweight image of Jesus. Norm Evans, the former Miami Dolphins lineman, he said if Jesus played football, he would be a six feet 
six-inch, 260-pound defensive tackle who would always make the big plays and would be hard to keep out of the backfield. I have no idea what any of that language means. But this is kind of macho Jesus. In fact, one writer, incredibly, I think, recently said that he could never worship a Jesus that he could beat up. I'm sorry, but I find that utterly staggering, not least because Jesus did allow people to beat him up, and he was the Lamb of God. Let's not project some kind of strange macho image onto Jesus. And then, of course, I, because of where I used to live, I, I had the notion of the English Jesus. The English <laughs> Jesus. There he is. I, I tried to grow a moustache myself. He <laughs> looked like the back end of a rabbit. It was not, it was not good. But this sort of English Jesus, when the English were at war against France, which they were a lot, um, they would yell on the battlefield, the Pope is French, but Jesus is English. How many know that's a ridiculous idea? Did anyone see that royal wedding thing we did? You see that royal wedding? During the, that royal wedding, they sang a, they sang a hymn, Jerusalem. You familiar with that hymn? And did those feet, speaking of Jesus, and did those feet in ancient times walk upon England's hillsides green, I think it is. I'm watching this, I'm thinking, no. I think we can figure that one out pretty clearly. Jesus did not go to England. And then there's the, the strange impersonal Jesus, the kind of uh, sort of... <laughs> sort of Dr. Spock from Galilee... Nanu, Nanu. I'm mixing my characters up, I know. It's so important that we understand who Jesus really is, and the disciples were to learn more about that in Capernaum. And the reason for that is this. Christianity is not built around the teachings of Jesus. I'll say it again. Christianity is not built around the teachings of Jesus. Christianity is built around the living person of Jesus and his teachings. It isn't just an ideology, but it is built around who he is as a person. So let's, let's, let's have a look at this Capernaum incident. First of all, let's see that Jesus is astonishing. He's revealed that day as being astonishing, and he still comes as a surprise to us. Uh, verse 22 says, the people were amazed at his teaching. Isn't it wonderful when you see wonder? Isn't amazement a beautiful thing to observe? We, um, Kay and I, um, took our, our, our oldest grandson, Stanley, to see his first Christmas movie this year. And we took him out for dinner first, and then we went to see the Christmas movie, and he was finishing dinner, so Kay said, you go on to the, th you walk across the street to the theater, and you buy the tickets. And, and, uh, and so I, I went in there, I said, I need two tickets, two adult tickets and a child ticket, please, to the nine-year-old guy behind the, 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 the counter. And this guy looked bored senseless. I felt bad for him. He obviously didn't like his job, and, and I have no criticism for that, for him for that. But he was, he was kind of bored. And he looked at me and he went, two senior tickets and a child. <laughs> senior tickets, yes, yes. Thank you very much. Because in England, you have to be 65 to be a senior. I'm 55. I've just had a rough life. 
So we go in there, and Stanley puts his 3D glasses on, and he's sitting there with a, with a tub of popcorn. It's like a hot tub, this thing. And, and the movie starts, and Stanley leans forward. And for the next two hours, he is enraptured. He is awestruck by the world according to Disney. And every now and again, I would nudge him, and I'd say, Stanley, are you with us? And he would not respond, but just mechanically move hand from popcorn <laughs> to face. Uh, and, and because I can't turn my brain off, I got kind of depressed. Because I kept thinking about the ticket guy and how bored he was. And I'm looking at my grandson, awestruck. And I thought, how tragic that so soon he will lose the wonder. And he'll become infected by the atmosphere of jaded cynicism that seems to pervade things. And I felt sad. And then I felt glad again. Because then I thought, actually, if he can meet the real Jesus, whose name is Wonderful, then he's going to discover the real beautiful story that is truly epic. Are we still astonished by Jesus? I've been thinking this week... It's highly possible, I think, that I and you, that we, all of us, have kind of, we, we, we haven't really got Jesus figured out. Because the, the disciples spent three years with him personally, and they were still constantly surprised. He goes through a phase, Jesus, when his family think he's mad. They, they stage an intervention. His mother and brothers arrive outside a house to take him away. If I'd have been Jesus, I'd have gone out and chatted with my mom. I'd have said, Mom's okay. It's, it's all right. You know, it's just going to be fine. Go home and, and I'll be back for supper. What does he do? He looks at his disciple and he says, These are my mother and brothers now. Boy, I wouldn't have done it that way. That's surprising. And the, and the disciples, they try and stage manage him. And parents bring their children to Jesus. And they say, no, go away. He's talking to the Pharisees. And Jesus is indignant because he wants to prioritize the children. And they want him to throw the stone at the adulteress. And he surprises them. And he says, if you've not gotten any sin, you, you go first. And John the Baptist is surprised, and he sends his disciples to Jesus saying, are you the one? Because he couldn't quite figure this out. And Zacchaeus, I love Zacchaeus, Danny DeVito up a tree. <laughs> and he's expecting a rebuke because he's a tax collector, and Jesus shows up and looks up there and invites himself for supper. And the disciples want thrones, and he says, wait on tables. And the resurrection happens, and they think he's the landscape guy. They keep getting surprised by Jesus. And then his teaching was surprising, amazing, had real impact. Um, I want you to do something. Sometimes, sometimes preachers do this kind of thing. Just go with me in this. We don't do this kind of stuff often in Timberline, so just give me permission here, okay? I know you don't know what I'm about to do, but just say, go for it, Jeff. <laughs> Thanks for your trust. Appreciate it. Just turn to the person next to you and just say, you're looking pretty good today. Just go ahead and just say that. Right? That's good. How many of you just told a lie on a Sunday morning? <laughs> Imagine what you'd feel like. Don't do this because I don't need the lawsuit. Imagine what you'd feel like if I said to you, turn to the person next to you and slap them up the side of the head. Some of you are looking pretty excited about that. 
Jesus' teaching was like a slap on the side of the head. The Greek word there means to be struck, to expel by a blow, to strike with panic and shock. Jesus is astonishing. All of the other rabbis would quote each other. Jesus would say, Moses said unto you, but I say to you. It was astonishing stuff. Napoleon said, surprisingly, everything in Christ astonishes me. Here, everything is extraordinary. Einstein said, I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. Have we lost the wonder? I'm praying this prayer this week. You might want to join me in it. Surprise me, Lord, again. Show me where I've assumed that I know what you want, where I think you like what I like, where I think you prefer what I prefer. Shock me, Jesus. Astonish me again. He is astonishing. Secondly, he is revealed here as being authoritative. Authoritative. He comes as Lord, not as advisor. As Lord, not as advisor. Verse 22, he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. I've already mentioned to you the teachers of the law would quote each other. And brothers and sisters, in Mark's gospel, the teachers of the law often stand in counterpoint or comparison to Jesus, in this case, lacking authority. And in comparison with them, he has great authority. And by the way, the word here, amazed, it's present continuous tense, which means in the congregation that day, imagine being there, Jesus is teaching, and here's what's happening in the congregation. People are going, wow, wow. Wow. W-O-W, wow. Wow backwards, W-O-W, wow. It was amazing stuff. Here is the, the potentially unpalatable truth in a world where we like consultants, gurus, and advisor. Jesus is not Dr. Phil. And he's not Oprah. I was really worried when I was preparing this sermon I was going to get Oprah confused with okra. <laughs> Jesus is Jesus. And he doesn't come to just give us a little bit of advice. Oh, thank you very much, Jesus. Very nice. I'll, get, yes, I'll consider that. He comes as Lord. Uh, I've inherited a deficiency in my life from my mother. My mother never liked reading the directions or the instructions. This has resulted in many culinary disasters in our family line. My mother bought washing powder, not realizing that it was concentrate, and didn't read the directions. So she put the same amount as usual. We were up to our armpits in suds. And I've inherited that. I don't like to read the... I bought a camera. My wife bought me a camera, and I have yet to read the instructions. Would you like to know... Would you like to know a very personal piece of information about Pastor Darry? How many would like to? This is lurid stuff, which I do not have permission to share. Never mind. When Pastor Darry buys something new, he sits down and reads the whole instruction manual from cover to cover. The dude needs to get out more. 
I wish I was like that. Because then I'd know how to operate my car. That would be a bonus. And we can be like that with Jesus. Oh, thank you very much indeed for your directions, Lord. I'll, I'll get around to pondering those a little more later. Are there areas in our lives where we think we'd like Jesus to be an advisor, a helper, but not Lord? It's a challenge. Thirdly, and this is a little complex, so stay with me in this. Thirdly, Jesus is strategic. He's strategic. He wants a credible, timely witness. Look at verse 23. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. By the way, would you look up for a moment? That's a soft translation in the NIV. Martin Luther was right when he translated this, forgive me if you find this offensive, but a closer translation is not be quiet, because that's very nice, be quiet. Jesus more specifically said, shut up. Sorry if that's offensive. He said, shut up. And some translators have him saying, shut your mouth. Now that's surprising. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He, gives, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. The world that Jesus lived in was infested by demonic forces, which were very obviously manifesting in ancient cemeteries skulls have been found with holes drilled in them and careful examination shows that the holes were drilled during lifetime because of subsequent bone growth because people believe that if you drilled a hole in your head you could get rid of your demon and mark acknowledges that world and we should too not with holes in their head but the reality of spiritual warfare and he talks about unclean spirits 11 times in his gospel. It's interesting, I think, that the demon yells out a mixture of truth and error. The demon yells out, you're the holy one. Most likely meaning God's right-hand agent. It's fascinating in Mark's gospel, the only entities that figure out who Jesus is pre-resurrection are the demons. Then there's a mingling of lies with that. Have you come to destroy us? Using the word destroy to describe Jesus. In a sense, he had, but how many know that ultimately Satan, John 10.10, 10, is the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And now Jesus is being confronted with an evil voice that says, you're the destroyer. There's a mingling here of truth and lies. And Jesus says, be quiet. Now, here's something really strange. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus does amazing stuff, and then he says, don't tell anyone. Scholars call it the messianic secret. Don't tell anyone. Now, why did he do that? Well, one likely reason is because Jesus was working to a time scale. You know, he often said, my hour has not yet come. Cana in Galilee, turn the water into wine. That's what he said to his mother. Jesus was working to a chronology that was 
in cooperation with the Father. And if the news of his Messiahship got out too quick, then that would cut short that three years of teaching. Jesus was raised in an atmosphere where political revolution, uh, revolutionaries would be dealt with swiftly. Galilee was a hotbed of revolution. The year Jesus was born, 2,000 Jews were crucified in the next, what, a, a village just four miles from Nazareth where he was raised. They were crucified by the Romans for being insurgents and revolutionaries. And so Jesus is saying, I did this, keep it quiet. But sometimes that instruction was not obeyed. Later in this chapter, Jesus heals a man with leprosy and says to the guy, don't tell anyone. And then it says, he went out and began, the man went out, uh, began to talk freely, spreading the news. And it says, as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Jesus says to the guy, be quiet. And he goes and talks. Jesus says to the demons who know who he is, be quiet. You know what that says to us? It's that it says that it is possible to talk about him in a way that is unhelpful. It means that if we are hypocritical and we're Christians, we're all in process, but if in our workplace we're the gossips, we're the liars, we're the ranters, we're the obnoxious ones, and we're the ones who are saying, Jesus has changed my life, here's the stunning news. It would be better to be quiet for a while, sort some stuff out, and then do some talking. It's a real challenge that not every witness for Jesus helps and benefits the kingdom of God. That's not an excuse to be silent, but it's a challenge to bring our lives into line with our words. Well, the last thing is this, fourthly, and can I let you know that in a few moments we're going to do something a little different. There is always an opportunity for prayer here at Timberline as our prayer teams week after week stand at the front here and whatever we need prayer for, there's always that opportunity to receive it. This morning we're going to do something a little different because we're going to look for a few moments at the fact that Jesus brought physical healing and spiritual healing to people, deliverance and freedom. I want you to know that if you have a need for healing, that in about five minutes from now, we're going to have people stationed around this building at the front, at the back, the walls at the side, and there is going to be an opportunity for people to, for you to receive prayer if you would like. Let's have a look at this. Jesus is compassionate. He brings healing to the house. Verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew, and Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and immediately they told, they immediately told Jesus about her. And so he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. And that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. This is most likely the home of Peter. Historians and archaeologists seem to think that this was the place it actually became Jesus' headquarters when he was in the Capernaum area. It's interesting that Jesus started this healing ministry in Capernaum 
because that was a health spa area. Uh, the city of Tiberias, just, uh, just 10 miles away, <clears throat> there was a spa where the sick would gather from all over the nation and bathe in those waters. And so Jesus deliberately decides to, to bring healing to people in that locality. Now, as we prepare our hearts to do what we're about to do, can I just say a couple of things? First of all, what we're about to do is not faith healing. This is divine healing in the no man or woman is doing this. We're asking the astonishing Jesus if he would move among us. Secondly, when we go into healing, we go to a place of mystery. I want to confess that to you. We need a theology of suffering as well as a theology of healing. And I want to just be really honest with you as a pastor. I, I've been a pastor now for over uh, too many years. Here's the honest statement that some people might be irritated by because it doesn't go with the rhetoric. I, don't, I believe in healing and I haven't seen nearly as much healing as I'd like. Let's just be honest about it. That's not letting the side down. It just happens to be true. I believe that Jesus heals. And the problem is, when we pray for healing, if we're not careful, we can get into little formulas that don't work. I want to I speak to people with disabilities here today who've been told foolish things by well-meaning Christians who rushed up to you and said, well, you haven't been healed because you didn't have enough faith. How do they know? I bumped into big faith in the oncology wards. Sometimes we, in a desire to try and fix things, we come out with little formulas that are wrong. Or we get disappointed. Someone needs prayer for healing, and their friends gather. They start to pray. They start to fast. And then someone says, um, God's told me they're going to be healed, and then they don't get healed. And then people get mad with God for not doing what he perhaps didn't promise to do because we can make big mistakes in this area. The main thing we need to say today is that there is nothing weird or strange about praying for healing. We're going to, in a few moments, we're going to be anointing people with oil. That's not magic. Oil is, in the Bible, a symbol of the activity of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible commands us to anoint the sick with oil. And I want to say to you that as we do that in a few moments, we don't have to get weird about it. We don't have to work ourselves to a special place right now. In Jesus' name. Sorry, I woke a few of you up just then, and I just... I mean, why do we think we're going to do that? We don't have to do that. We can just say, Jesus, we're in an area here that we don't fully understand. Healing is something of a mystery, but you've told us to pray for those who are ill. And we're not praying because we want to see some fireworks. We're praying because Jesus cares, and so do we. He lifted Peter's mother-in-law up by the hand. It's a beautiful scene. He reached out later in Mark 1 and touched the leper unheard of in his time. Why? Because if you're ill, Jesus doesn't see you as a, as a cancer case, disembodied with symptoms. But he sees us as people. He knows our names, our journeys, 
And what we're doing is saying, Jesus, you're still astonishing. Be amazing among us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you today because the amazing Jesus that you were is the amazing Jesus that you are. You are not simply a figure in history or a paper cut out on a flannel graph board. But you are the risen, ascended, glorified Christ. Power and authority is in your name. So help us, Lord, as we respond to you and respond to your word. In Jesus' name. If you would like prayer now and you've not already headed to those areas, I want our prayer team folks to make sure that you're in place. And I want you to head immediately, please. If you would like prayer, just move down those aisles and head to the sides, head to the back, head to the front here if you want to respond to this moment and uh, ask the Lord for healing. Would you go ahead and, and move down there? Let's have a bit of holy chaos in the place. And we'll wait for you as you, as you quickly do that, please. And as people are coming now to the sides and to the front, I want to ask our prayer team to anoint them with oil as the Bible commands in Jesus' name. Why don't you go ahead and begin to do that, please. As a symbol of the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life, we anoint you with oil in obedience to the Scriptures. And it might be that as friends around here are being anointed with oil, it might be that some of us might want to name people to Jesus right now who are not here, but who are heavily on our hearts. We want to include them in this moment of prayer. And now as perhaps we continue just to anoint with oil, let's agree together in a moment or two, we're going to pick up this song again and continue to declare our faith. But I want to invite you to pray with me. If you'd like to, no one has to do this. If you'd like to, just open your hands as a symbol, as an expression. Lord, we're open to you amazing us around here. And so if you want to do that, uh, congregation, as well as those who are responding, then, then please do that right now. Jesus... We want you to have total freedom to be amazing and astonishing. We bring to you every person now that we have anointed with oil. We bring their needs to you. And we simply pray in the name of Jesus that you will work a work that will glorify your name and that will strengthen the kingdom of God and will bring relief from suffering. We dare to ask you to bring healing. We are not looking for a momentary warm feeling. We are asking you to break chains 
that have bound members of our family here and those that we have named before you. We believe today, with all of our struggles and our questions, that your name, Jesus, is bigger than the cancer name. And we name that as an example of perhaps the many things that afflict your people. But we come to you now and we ask you, liberator, to bring liberation to each and every one. Lift people by the hand and lift them, we pray, up into strength and wholeness. We agree together in Jesus' name. If you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? We're going to sing the next verse, and I want prayer team, if you want to just continue to pray for a few moments for friends here, just move around among those groups. If you want to just put your hand on their shoulder and just agree with their request of the Lord. And as we're doing that, uh, let's just continue to declare, to declare this truth together. We give you thanks. So thank you, Lord, for your presence with us today. We pray now, Lord, as we go into a new week, that the witness of our words and lives will not be one that you would like to be quietened and silenced. But in our weaknesses and our fragilities, we go in your name. And we pray that by lifestyle and word, we might represent you well. Turn heads and hearts as we live by faith and walk by faith with you. We agree together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's been so good to see you today. God bless you. Prayer team will continue to be here. If we can pray with you, we would love to. Don't forget Summit tonight, 4.30. You're very welcome there. God bless you.